I'm a drifter A lonesome drifter I got no place To call my own no more I'm a wanderer Welcome back to our podcast, New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. Bill Bohr. And today, this is Lost in Translation, part, part one. Yes. So, Bill, tell me about your idea for why this should be our conversation today. Well, a couple things. Something you sent me to read, uh, coupled with a conversation I had with a long-lost friend. And someone who years ago, uh, we really had a transformative spiritual conversation. And... Um, but fast forward, really hadn't spoken to this person literally for 20-some years. And kind of reconnected on social media. And this person is no longer going to church. And there were a variety of reasons for that. But one of the reasons that she identified was that um, everybody has their own interpretation. And she's an intelligent, educated person uh, living you know, in the big belt buckle of the Bible belt. Um, and she just has gotten tired of, I guess, the overly subjective nature of biblical interpretation. And that coupled with so much of it being used either in the culture wars or coming up with these somewhat uh, five principles of how to have a happy family life based on the book of Ezra. You know, those those kind of thoughts. You know? <laughs> By the way, uh, don't go to Ezra to, to have a happy family life, uh, necessarily. But, uh, and again, those are some presenting causes. We always have, you know, it's always complicated what makes us take a break from church for a while. But it really got me thinking about um, this ongoing problem of biblical interpretation. And, and in this first... Uh, uh, this first podcast, we want to deal with the problem of how do you go from text, a, oh, well, we'll call it a, a first century text, or at least it's compiled as one unit by the fourth century. How do you go from this historical religious text that we believe to be inspired in some way by the word of God, but you know, from his own context, and, and how do we interpret it in a way to make meaningful applications in our lives today that have both biblical and theological integrity? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that's that's something that if you're preaching or teaching regularly, that's sort of what you've, the task you have to do. Right. No, it is the weekly. Task of preaching. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I read a I read a book a couple of years ago called it was called Crosstalk. It was by a guy who is in kind of pastoral counseling and psychology. And it's a, it's an it's an interesting little book and in it it's short, it's maybe 120 or 130 pages I think. But he says that I wrote this book to talk about how to use the Bible in ministry because 
he realized in the seminary training he had had classes on how to interpret the Bible and right. on, the, on biblical languages and biblical theology. And he had classes on ministry, preaching, pastoral care. But he never really had a class on how you use the Bible in ministry. Right. <laughs> and what is, so what does this text look like, actually, in people's lives and, and concrete um, situations and, and things like that? So I thought, I mean, in some ways, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Like, what, is, what does it look like for us to be in the lived story uh, in, a, in a time and place that's really different than the world of the authors? Right, and I think part of the problem that my friend is dealing with is that she is surrounded by preachers, and we could say that you know, this is, you know, there are millions of Christians who this would apply to, who selectively pick different parts of ancient worldviews, <laughs> okay, and they ground they ground the biblical interpretation. So, I mean, it, you know, we've talked before about how this gets done in the areas of human sexuality. But I, I do think it's it's a um, it really it, you may say it's it's ultimately the Protestant problem, but it's it's nonetheless it's a problem of, of on one level we have this accessibility to the biblical text, and we as Christians want to believe and do believe that somehow God can be and to speak through the text. Yeah. Uh, but what is the relationship between, if you would, the initial voice of God that inspired the writing of the text? And the ongoing interpretive voice of God, whether that be the Holy Spirit in the individual life, or I think even more important but more problematic, how the Spirit speaks in the communal life of the church. Yeah, it's interesting when I when I because you're talking about like holding on to aspects of like ancient worldviews and stuff. In this book, uh, Crosstalk, the author Michael Emlet or something, I forget his name. Uh, he said that there's three bedrock things that the biblical story tells us about ourselves, and they're really important in any existential crisis. Uh, a very practical kind of kind of thing, like that we're sinners, that we're people that are tragically flawed, and, and it's a perennial kind of thing, and we're always, uh, you know, having to repent not just of our vices but our virtues. Uh, that we're sufferers, which is different than being a sinner. You know, that we we live in a world that's we're we're fragile and it, it can be pretty unpredictable and things right. can be taken away and, and people can, sin against us. yeah people sin against us and, and there are natural disasters and and then that we're saints as people of faith we're saints we're people that are united to God through His Son Jesus Christ and that there's this part of our legacy that we're redeemed and and new creations and will be continued to be made new. And so that, you know, a lot of times that what happens when, when we're really struggling is we forget one of those things huh. that wow. we, we, we become, you know, sometimes we just become saints, right? right. <laughs> it's kind of the jealousy onward and upward. And, you know, if, if things aren't getting better, I just don't believe enough. Or sometimes we're just sinners. Like we, we, we like we just want to self condemn ourselves. Um, or sometimes we're sufferers and just play the victim and we're kind of blinded to our own, our own con contribution to it. And we're blinded to the fact that this, the, the, the pain can be redeemed. Right. But I think most of the ancient world, my guess is most of the stuff that she's frustrated with is probably pretty far away from <laughs> concrete stuff that actually that kind of stuff. I remember reading it. I thought this is a really concrete 
way of thinking about how the Bible shapes our identity. And I feel like sometimes, whether it's like six day creation or, or certain other kind of, you know, things that people can get fixated on with interpretive intensity, those things are so far away from where people are living their lives. Right. You know, I know people aren't generally getting up in the morning. Oh my goodness. Carbon dating. You're like sweating. Yeah. But, but I would say though, that part of the reason that people don't do um, the kind of intellectual work to have what I would think to have, uh, you know, to have intellectual integrity and be a person of faith in the 20th, you know, the 21st century, because that's not the stuff they worry about. So on some levels, they want to say, okay, this is what the authority tells me, whether it's my, hmm. you know, Baptist pastor, you know, who tells me that you know, Genesis 1 is literal, or whether it's the seminar I go to and tells me that uh, God created the world hierarchical, so as a woman, I'm to be subservient to a man, or whether it is the massive rally where you know, young girls pledge their virginity to their fathers, which feels very second century pagan Roman to me. But nonetheless, it's, that, it's, it's... I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. No, that's a phenomenon. Yeah. That is a phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, that might weird out the rest of my day. <laughs> that, well, well, right. But... but it, Where it, can I go to that? I just want to see it. Like Jane Goodall. I want to kind of just like... Feel, like well, Gorillas in the midst. I think you can you can go to uh, North Carolina or Afghanistan. <laughs> Both things can happen. No. Uh, but but what but, uh, <laughs> but part of the problem is that uh, whether we're talking about Afghanistan or or you know the the Bible Belt, um, it's this idea that a certain kind of worldview, a certain way of interpreting holy text. Has in, has in one level been fixated at a particular place in in the time, and it's in the past. And how do we, you know, how do we how do we approach that with people who 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 legitimately are afraid that if you start pulling, you know, we've talked about this before, the jingo theology. Yeah. But how do we how do we help people say, okay, rather than throw the whole thing out, okay, or rather uh, devise some sort of inconsistent scheme of literal interpretation because there is never I've never come across a consistent literal system of biblical interpretation. Yeah. Then then how do we address you know this person like my friend who says, you know what, I'm just done with it because it's all inconsistent. Uh I'm just frustrated. Uh no one really knows what's true and I need a break. Yeah. You know, one thing that as you were talking I was thinking about was Albert Albert Richel was a great 19th century liberal German theologian, New Testament scholar. His uh, his the way we the way often theology is determined, right, or how we at least think we do it is, well, we look at the Bible first on any issue, right? And what does the Bible say? The text say. Then we look at the history of interpretation. Well, how has the church dealt with this passage? And then we come out with our conclusions, our systematic theology, whatever. He said, well, you should start with the history of interpretation because that's what you're doing when you, think, when you go to the Bible and think what it says anyway. You're just, you're looking at what your tradition has said. Right, looking, yeah. <laughs> he said, let's just be honest and yeah. start with that. No, that's true. You know, you're looking at what you've been taught. Like, I, yeah. I remember one time 
years ago, uh, someone arguing with me about something that was in the Bible. And I said, for the life of me, I can't remember anywhere that that, that is in the Bible. And finally, the person brought their Bible to me, showed it to me, and it was a footnote in their Schofield reference Bible. <laughs> That's one of the classics, the Schofield. Right, no, you know, and 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 so technically it, it was. It was it was in in, there, in, in their his, Bible. In his Bible, right there, yes. What was it, do you remember? No, I don't remember, it's been too long ago, no. So, you're saying, what, what do we say to, I mean, say more about that. Like, what, do Yeah, you, I guess the question is, I, I, it's easy to, to poke fun of people that we feel have these kind of primitive or backward yeah. biblical interpretations. And, and frankly, you know, there's a, there's a kind of, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a liberal version of this too, you know? Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. So there's a sense of that, uh, you know, um, and so I don't mean to just pick on, on our more conservative brothers and sisters, but what, what is a good word that I can give to this person? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of under the suspicion that uh, people who listen to this podcast probably have either come across this in their own life or have people that struggle in the same way. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a good, I mean, that's a good question. I think that, well, I think that like, first off doubt is not the opposite of belief, right? No. Right. Unbelief is the opposite. Or disinterest. Yeah. Right. Or disinterest. Yeah. So I think that like feeling that, Sensing that there's some ambiguity uh, about the nature of uh, the church as you experience it and live in it, I think probably just shows that you're a Christian. <laughs> right. No, I, I think so. You know, um, and I think that's certainly so. Doubting is part of the faith journey, but I guess we still are trying to, to find out well, what ground can we stand upon? Now, there's a sense of, I need to be able to stance on some kind of of ground when it comes to thinking about the Bible that's not constantly shifting. You know, we don't necessarily want to build our foundation, okay, on something that's false or something that is and and you know that that is outdated. Okay. In other words, you know, there's a there's a very different worldview uh cosmology that's at that's at work than was at work with the Babylonian worldview that influenced Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. So, um, so I guess, so the question, the question is, what, what can we stand upon? And, you know, one of the things that has helped me is, you know, over the last four years or so, studying pretty intensely with really good Jewish scholars, and, and even the whole, beyond the last four years, my, my engagement in interfaith discussion with, with Jewish scholars, and, there's something about the, the you know rabbinical Talmudic approach to struggling with text that I think um, I mean I'm not the first person to have this insight, but it's been very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you're not familiar, and we can't get in, we can't get into the details of this, but there is a you know when you're looking at a page of, of Talmud, um, you know there's a, there's an issue at the center of the page, and then there's all kinds of interpretation that are written around it including the minority opinion about an interpretation. And I think to me, what that recognizes is exactly what you said earlier, that anytime we're interpreting the text, we're in some kind of conversation, not only with the text, but with past voices. Mm -hmm. And rather than pretend those past voices don't exist, or 
even worse than that, pretending that every past voice is actually the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we have to vote. Yeah. I think with the Talmud, even though there are majority opinions, okay, and, and there are people who won on that given day. Sure. But the minority report was kept in, yeah. I think, for a couple reasons. One, to honor the fact that there is an alternative approach to this. And I think even more uh, uh, clever is that down the road, we might realize the minority report might be, might be right. Yeah. In other words, there, there was enough suspicion about one's own interpretive ability that, uh, and enough uh, openness to God working with text and also a commitment to the integrity of people struggling both now and in the future and in the past. That you could you could have multiple interpretations right beside your text, yeah. and, and for you know, fifteen hundred years of Judaism, or you know, or roughly that much, the Talmud was 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 the most important, really uh, holy book for for Judaism. Yeah, I think that's helpful. I think what it what's dangerous is when we, we don't realize we come from a point of view. I mean, I, I, when right. you just think that well, this is just the way it is, uh, especially because when you realize. That's not true. It can be a real devastating when the emperor has no clothes effect sets in, as maybe it has for your friend. Like it, it can, it can really be a hard thing to process. Well, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that I can lose my faith over a non-essential idea that I was wrong about. Yeah, you were saying, you were saying what's a kind of comforting word? I I just found a passage. This is great about Kindle, right? You you know, I'd have to. Before leave the room and go look at it. And, um, this is from a book that the Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI wrote when he was Joseph Ratzinger. He'll always be Ratzinger to me. Um, he, this is about the Bible and the struggle to find clarity in it. He says, anyone who sees uh, all this, all the complexities, could give up hope of ever being able to receive any sort of direction from Scripture. I personally, nevertheless, am convinced despite this primeval forest of problems, that there really is an unequivocal character to Scripture, its gestalt or shape or significant form as a self-illuminating comprehensive statement. Anyone who calmly and patiently reads the Bible as a whole may very well leave many questions about the details open. Yet he soon learns to distinguish between where the path is leading and where it is not. But this unequivocal character is not a fact to be grasped by historical or abstract hermeneutical methods. In order to be perceived, it presupposes contemplation of the gestalt as a whole, and thus a way of looking in terms of the whole within the living context of faith and church. I've, I found that, I highlighted it, I, I remember a year or two ago when I read that, because I thought this is, there's this sense in which he's not saying that uh, there aren't ambiguities and unanswered questions that you always have. But that there is a kind of, there is a, you can see the forest, the trees kind of thing. Like there is a, sh a shape. And I think of in the beginning of the book of John, when the disciples come to Jesus it, and they say something that grammatically seems strange, right? It's, I, it annoys me when I go into like retail stores and, uh, you know, I'll say to the person, how are you? And they say, how can I help you? And I'm thinking... That's not, you answered my question with a question. It wasn't even connected to the question I asked you. Like, you know, sometimes like that grates on me. But that seems to be what's going on in John, but it's not because uh, Jesus says, you know, what do you want? Like, what are you seeking? And they ask, they answer him with a question. Where are you staying? Hmm. 
And so the idea is what they what they want is not a thing but a person. They want to be with. They want to be with. And I think that in some ways that what amidst the ambiguities and the struggles, uh, if if we're looking for where Jesus is is staying or tabernacling, I think that uh, yeah, that will keep us, I guess, major on the majors. Yeah, yeah, I think there are these overarching stories. I mean, to me, if I had to summarize the biblical story, I would say that God loves us and, and wants to be in relationship with us, and the ways of God are remarkably mysterious. Yeah. I, including God himself is mysterious, meaning unknowable, ultimately. And I think you can you can find that almost in every every book of the Bible. I mean, you, yeah. there's a certain, there's certainly that theme uh can be there every time we call God holy, we're saying we don't really know what you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and yet at the same time, the whole story is about God wanting to be with us. Yeah. And I was talking to someone you know, recently about this. And 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 you know, for me, one of the uh you know, one of my canons within the canon when it comes to understanding how I should act and, and how I should think about what God wants is when you know when Jesus says to, um, I guess it's in, yeah, I guess it's about teaching on prayer. How many of you uh, give your son when they're asking, you know, for a uh, bread, you give them a serpent? Yeah. You know, it's in Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and he goes on, those of you who are evil, even those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So yeah. much does your heavenly father yeah. know what to give you. And as a, as a parent, um, I've always been humbled to realize that, um, that that I'm not better than God. Hmm. Yeah, right? That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah, that's my problem. All these self-evident things seem profound to me, but but the extension is, and I I know how to give good gifts to my children. I, I've made mistakes. I'm flawed. But I, I would never impose upon a deity to do something that I wouldn't in my in my wildest imagination be doing. Hmm. And again, I know that Jesus is being rhetorical there, okay, and, and I, I get that. But but I don't think my theological extrapolation from that is wrong. In other words, in some levels, um can can we impose a certain kind of ethic or a certain kind of interpretation that ultimately seems to contradict the good that God would do? Well, you know, I, I was reading, I just accidentally read this thing on Facebook uh, with some, um, uh, some conservative person put up there about how you deal with your children going astray. And I just pray that no one else reads it. <laughs> I really do. I pray that no one else reads hmm. because ultimately this person selectively picks different passages. Okay, <laughs> and and uh, you know, ironically, when talking about children who've gone astray, the one passage that seems to be lost in this writer is the prodigal the son, <laughs> and, uh, and how the father reacted there. Hmm. And so, I, to me, uh, again, I. I I think to have a living relationship with the Bible is to be 
okay sometimes with, with ambiguity and not being biblically compliant. Uh, our faith is not based upon a certain biblical interpretation. Matter of fact, our faith really isn't based on the Bible. Hmm. Okay, the Bible bears witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. And so I think to me... Yeah, it's uh, almost like, do we believe in Jesus because of the Bible? Or do we... Or do we believe in the Bible because of Jesus? Right. Now, again... And I think that makes all the difference. I, I, absolutely. And, and again, obviously, the only initial picture we have of Jesus is from the Scriptures. Yeah. But but the Jesus of the Scripture has also been communicated through uh, some of the very important icons I've had of, of people who, who walked with Jesus and, and made me want to walk with Jesus yeah. as well. And so I, I do think that ultimately... Um, you know, I want to say we want to have a Christocentric kind of interpretation of how we should live. Yeah. But I, I actually think it's a theocentric. I yeah. think you have to take the whole counsel of who God really is and then realize, you know, some of these details um, just, it may never be quite clear to us exactly how to apply this biblical. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I
Search 